We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 707 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, November 27, 2023. Thanksgiving weekend has ended. It ended with a commanders-less Sunday on which we actually had multiple positive developments with the commanders. See what happens when they don't play on a Sunday. We actually have positive things <laughs> that happen with our football team. But Sunday morning, a report from CBS NFL insider Jonathan Jones, quote, there will be a search for a head coach and very possibly a general manager in Washington this offseason. And both jobs are thought to be among the most attractive in the NFL, end quote. And also in the report from Jonathan Jones was this quote from an anonymous personnel executive, quote, everyone's shooting for Washington, end quote. What do you know? Our football team, all of a sudden, a desirable destination. Funny what new ownership will do. And making our team an even more desirable destination is our team potentially having a top Five pick in the 2024 NFL Draft. Note this, as things stand right now off results from Sunday, the Commanders would have the number five overall pick in the 2024 NFL Draft. Five games left for our team this regular season. Quarterback Sam Howell plays well in each game, but the defense, which is going to be overhauled anyway, does just enough to lose each game. That, my friends, is the way, at least as I see things. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, speaking of the commander's defense, uh, we have had some firings. Uh, No, commander's managing partner Josh Harris has not fired head coach Ron Rivera. Not yet. Uh, uh, But Ron on Friday morning fired defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio and defensive backs coach Brent Wieselmeyer, the day after the embarrassing 45-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving, we got some firings. Jack Del Rio, no more, and Brent Wieselmeyer, no more. Uh, Ron will serve as the team's defensive coordinator for the rest of the season. Next segment, in-depth 
reaction to and analysis of the firings of Jack and Brent, including key comments from Ron at his day after the game press conference on Friday afternoon. And then I'm going to speak with Commander's Analyst Mark Bullock of Bullock's Film Room, uh, which you can find at markbullock.substack.com. And X's and O's breakdown of what went wrong for and with Jack as Washington defensive coordinator and what might be different with Ron as defensive coordinator. Uh, Also on the show, college football, a lot to get into. I will talk about number 25, Liberty, off it improving to 12-0 this season with a 42-28 win at UTEP on Saturday afternoon. I will talk about James Madison, which is going to a bowl game. The controversy is over. Uh, The Bowl Alliance on Sunday morning announced that JMU is going to a bowl game. The Dukes won at Coastal Carolina 56-14 on Saturday. Uh, I will talk about Maryland, which won at Rutgers 42-24 on Saturday, giving the Terrapins at least seven wins in each of three consecutive seasons for the first time since the 2001 through 2003 seasons. Uh, I will talk about the clash in the Commonwealth, Virginia Tech defeating Virginia for the 18th time in the last 19 meetings, a 55-17 win at UVA on Saturday. The Hokies, with this win, became bowl eligible. Uh, I will talk about Navy missing on a chance to become bowl eligible with a 59-14 loss at SMU on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, a lot of blowouts on Saturday. Uh, And I will talk about Old Dominion in miraculous fashion becoming bowl eligible via a 25-24 home win over Georgia State on Saturday afternoon in a game in which ODU overcame a 21-0 halftime deficit and overcame a 24-14 fourth quarter deficit with three scores over the final one minute 37 seconds of the game. Uh, And I will discuss the Capitals, Wizards, and college basketball. Uh, The Caps got demolished by the Edmonton Oilers 5-0 at Capital One Arena on Friday afternoon. Wait till you hear what Caps head coach Spencer Carberry said after the game. Uh, Two more losses for our tanking Wizards, who now have lost nine consecutive games. Friday night, a 131-128 loss at the Milwaukee Bucks. Saturday night, a 136-108 loss to the Atlanta Hawks at Capital One Arena. Uh, And we had Virginia Tech advancing to the championship game of the ESPN Events Invitational in Florida, uh, only to get blown out by number 19 Florida Atlantic 84-50 on Sunday afternoon. But we also had wins for Maryland and Georgetown on Saturday. The Terps, a 68-55 win over South Alabama at Xfinity Center in College Park, Maryland on Saturday night. The Hoyas, an 88-81 win over Jackson State at Capital One Arena on Saturday afternoon. You can hit me up on X. At Al Galdi, you can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Stanley Evans on the commanders firing Jack Del Rio, right? Stanley, hope that you had a great Thanksgiving, Galdi. None of us should let the commanders ruin our holidays. (laughs) So as far as JDR goes, it's a move that was made probably three years too late. It's a nice move, but it doesn't really matter at this point of the season. The playoffs are long gone. Quite frankly, I don't understand the move at this point. If this was made by Rivera, why wait so late? I doubt that ownership would stop at Del Rio and Wieselmeyer if this was ownership's doing. JDR and Wieselmeyer are just the first firings. There will be more to come. Ironically, Ron is firing his own staff now before Harris eventually fires Ron. Uh, Thank you for the email, Stanley. 
Uh, our next segment will address whether the firings of Jack Del Rio and Brent Wieselmeyer were truly done by Josh Harris or Ron Rivera. It is interesting, though, to think about what if the team had fired Jack and Brent sooner this season? Like, what if Jack and Brent had been fired after, say, the 40-20 loss to the Chicago Bears at FedEx Field on Thursday Night Football in Week 5? I know that that game for me, and I'm guessing for many of you, was the game that, like, crystallized that this 2023 Commander's defense was bad. But I think that the thinking was that Jack Del Rio, in each of his first three seasons as Washington defensive coordinator, had engineered a turnaround off a bad start for the defense. So the hope was that another turnaround was coming, but uh, the turnaround never came. Uh, Email from Jack L. on the commander's defense writes, Jack, did you notice the Durs defensive backs celebrating while Dak was chomping on a turkey leg? Uh, they were celebrating that they were able to stop Dak from having any stuffing or <laughs> any stuffing or cranberry sauce. To me, the way that our D-backs celebrate routine plays and unsuccessful plays that were messed up by the other team and not by a good play by the secondary, even when the Durs are losing, is the D-backs humiliating themselves. It makes them look like clowns. Thank you for the excellent podcast. My go-to for sports info, I have yet to miss any. Well, thank you very much for that, Jack. Email from Jerry on the Commander's Defense writes, Jerry, kudos to you for continuing to put in the effort in covering DC's football team. Watching this team spiral down this past month has been exasperating. Well, no one had huge expectations for this team. I never thought that it would quit like the defense seems to have done since the trades on Halloween. What are your thoughts on the theory that the defense may have taken exception to the trades of two of the team's better players? Not that the defense was doing well prior to the trades, but the performance since then has been disappointing. Looking forward to the end of the season so this nightmare will finally end. Uh, Thank you for the email, Jerry. Yeah, as disappointing as this commander season has become, uh, the coming commander's offseason is setting up to be huge. I mean, massive change is coming. We all know that. Uh, we are going to have quite a bit to talk about, to say nothing of the 2024 NFL draft in which the commanders could have a top 10, maybe even top five pick. Uh, I don't know that the commander's defense has quit. I just think that the commander's defense isn't good. What we saw on Thanksgiving, the ease with which the Cowboys moved the ball up and down the field. Look, it's entirely possible that some commanders players were not putting in maximum effort, but this defense is atrocious. How do you distinguish between bad effort and bad play when the defense is this bad? Uh, Now, if players are not playing as hard as they should be uh, due to giving up on the season, then that is even more of an indictment of them uh, than their actual play. And they need to be gotten rid of after this season. But always keep this in mind with the commanders trading edge defenders Montez Sweat and Chase Young on Halloween. What was 2023 NFL trade deadline day? And Jerry did allude to this in his email, but the primary driving force behind the commanders trading Montez and Chase was the defense being really bad. Uh, Not that each guy was set to be an unrestricted free agent this coming offseason, not the -the behind-the-scenes problems with Chase. Now, those things were factors, don't get me wrong, but had the defense been doing well, the commanders would not have traded Montez Sweat and Chase Young. The trading of Montez and Chase was driven by, I believe, Josh Harris and Commander Senior Vice President of Football Strategy, Eugene Shen. And what the trades were, were a recognition 
that Washington, in this offense-oriented era of the NFL, spending a first-round pick on a defensive player in six of the last seven NFL drafts and spending so much salary cap space on defense had been a failure. So if the commander's defensive players are upset about the trades, well, too bad. Those players should have played better. And yes, uh, Jack Del Rio should have coached better. And a law firm that keeps doing better and better is Paulson and Nace. Uh, Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202 902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Ace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Ace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. In fact, Paulson and Ace was just named as part of U.S. News and World Report's Best Law Firms 2024 edition. Uh, And Chris Nace and Matt Nace specifically are dedicated and decorated trial attorneys. Uh, Chris Nace in May was named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year, this by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. Chris in July was elected as the parliamentarian of the American Association for Justice, and both Chris and Matt Nace in August were recognized by Best Lawyers in America for 2024. Why the accolades? Well, Paulson and Nace fights for you. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who cause clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. This is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial, and that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call 202 902- 902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Well, this episode of the Al Galdi podcast is from Monday, November 27th, 2023. What is the 16th anniversary of the death of Redskins safety Sean Taylor? Uh, He died on November 27th, 2007. There is something appropriate slash poetic slash ironic slash eerie uh, about us on this episode of the podcast talking about the firing of Jack Del Rio as commander's defensive coordinator, because the truth is that Washington has not been consistently good on defense since Sean died. Uh, Washington has not had back-to-back good defenses since the 2004 and 2005 seasons, which were Sean's first two NFL seasons. Uh, The Skins for the 2004 through 2007 seasons, uh, which were the four seasons of Joe Gibbs' second stint as Skins head coach, had Greg Williams as the assistant head coach in charge of defense and Greg Blush as defensive coordinator. The Skins finished in the top seven in the NFL in total defense per the DVOA metric in three of those four regular seasons. 2004, number four, 
2005, number four, 2007, number seven. Although the Skins defense for the 2006 season was horrendous. So the Skins for the 2006 regular season finished dead last in the NFL in total defense per DVOA. So even the overall good run for Skins defense is under Greg Williams included a terrible defensive season. Uh, Washington, since its glory days of the 1982 through 1992 seasons, has had a very difficult time of having good defenses. Uh, Also has had a very difficult time of having good offenses, but we're talking defense right now. And the team's defensive struggles obviously have continued this season with what may be the team's worst defense of the many bad defenses since the end of the glory days. Uh, The commander's 45-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving did not result in commander's managing partner Josh Harris firing head coach Ron Rivera, but the loss did result in Ron firing defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio and defensive backs coach Brent Wieselmeyer. Uh, Ron made the announcement via a statement on Friday morning. We on Friday morning also got a statement from Josh Harris. Quote, this morning, I spoke with Coach Rivera and he recommended that the team make changes at defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach. I accepted those recommendations and want to thank Jack and Brent for their contributions to the commanders. We wish them and their families well moving forward. I feel exactly how our fans feel today disappointed and frustrated. It's how our players and staff feel as well. I knew our first season of ownership would include challenges along the way, and we will not shy away from hard work, nor will we be deterred by adversity. As Coach Rivera and I discussed, all of our energy for the remainder of the season will be focused on playing better, more consistent football, and developing our players while intently evaluating the areas in which We need to improve this offseason. Our fans deserve a team that can compete with the NFL's best and win sustainably over the long term. I will not waver from that mission. Thank you to our fans for the ways in which you've breathed new life into our franchise. We have not been good enough this season, but our resolve for the future is unbroken. End quote. Uh, I like that statement from Josh Harris. That was what we as Commanders fans wanted to hear, needed to hear uh, from Josh off not just the humiliating loss at the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, but what has become of this Commanders regular season? Eight losses in 10 games since the 2-0 start. Now, what seems clear is that Josh Harris is not firing Ron Rivera before the end of the commander's season. I suppose that Josh could be compelled to fire Ron before the end of the commander's season if things get even worse, but Josh's intent pretty clearly seems to be to let Ron finish the season and then fire him. Uh, The commander's regular season finale is a home game against the Cowboys on January 7th. Uh, Josh will fire Ron by January 8th, maybe even in the evening hours of January 7th. Uh, I am fine with Josh waiting on firing Ron for two reasons. A, I don't see the added value in firing Ron now as opposed to after the end of the team season. The thing that comes up is giving assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy a trial run as head coach by making him the interim head coach. But you could argue that that would be doing Eric a disservice and would take away from what matters most with Eric right now, his work with quarterback Sam Howell. And B, let's be honest, okay? The commanders are better off losing the rest of their games this season. The team is tracking toward having a top 10, maybe even top five pick 
in the 2024 NFL Draft. Why jeopardize that by firing Ron Rivera for some momentary bump that might come from an interim head coach? The team under Ron is bad. Let it continue to be bad. At least Ron can provide that service before he's fired. Uh, Ron, during his day after the game press conference on Friday afternoon, confirmed that he will be the commander's defensive coordinator for the rest of this season, uh, and announced that assistant defensive backs coach and nickel coach Kristen Garcia had been promoted to interim defensive backs coach and announced that Richard Rogers was remaining as senior defensive assistant and safeties coach. But this was Ron on Friday afternoon on his conversation with Josh Harris about firing Jack Del Rio and Brent Wieselmeyer. Well, for the most part, um, you know, after going through, um, you know, yesterday and, and, and a, a, you know, a very long evening and then morning, um, I, I reached out to Mr. Harris and I, I, I informed him of what I was, uh, what I was deciding and what I was going to do and, and wanted to make sure he was aligned with me. And, and he agreed and, and okayed my decision. And, um, I went forward and, you know, but I, I called him early and, you know, just told him, you know, just kind of looking at the situation, circumstances and just, you know, kind of use the uh, snowball analogy. It just, it was one of those things that just kind of started again. It just, it, it's hard to get out of it. And this is probably the, the thing that, you know, I felt was necessary to do to hopefully get out of this rut and, and get to a point where we, um, you know, we can, we can play to our abilities. It was hard because, you know, we got some good guys and we did some good things, but unfortunately something bad would happen and, and it just it just kind of um, escalated. I know that there has been some speculation that the firings of Jack Del Rio and Brent Bieselmeyer were actually done by Josh Harris, that Josh made Ron Rivera fire Jack and Brent. I actually think that it's quite possible that Ron himself made the call to fire Jack and Brent. I don't see that as being that far-fetched. Now, perhaps Ron fired Jack and Brent because Ron thought that that was what Josh wanted. Uh, But we in recent days have seen plenty of coordinators get fired in the NFL. Ron deciding to fire Jack Del Rio and Brent Wieselmeyer with the commanders having this horrendous defense is not something that had to come from Ron's boss. Uh, The Redskins hired Jack Del Rio as defensive coordinator in January 2020, which is when the Skins hired Ron as head coach. Washington's defenses over Jack's three-plus seasons as defensive coordinator alternated between being great and awful. Uh, He had a really strange run as Washington defensive coordinator. Here were Washington's rankings in the NFL in total defense per DVOA in each of Jack's four regular seasons as the team's defensive coordinator. 2020, number four. 2021, number 27. 2022, number seven. 2023, uh, through week 11, number 32, as in dead last in the NFL. So top seven in the NFL in the 2020 and 2022 seasons, but bottom six in the NFL in the 2021 and 2023 seasons. Uh, NFL analytics pioneer Aaron Schatz has something called the plexiglass principle. Uh, The plexiglass principle states that an NFL team that significantly improves or declines in a phase of the game in one season tends to see the opposite with that phase the following season, basically because significant improvement and significant decline tend to be functions of, at least in part, luck and circumstance. Few entities in the NFL capture 
the plexiglass principle, as well as Washington's defenses of these last few seasons do. Uh, And remember, the Skins' 2019 defense was really bad. So Washington has had really bad defenses in the 2019, 2021, and 2023 seasons, and really good defenses in the 2020 and 2022 seasons. The plexiglass principle personified. Uh, Now, Jack Del Rio deserves credit for Washington's 2020 and 2022 defenses being good, but a few things that stand out to me in terms of why his 2021 and 2023 defenses were not good. Uh, Number one, not getting enough consistent excellence from the starting defensive line when it was comprised of four first-round picks. Uh, Edge defenders Chase Young and Montez Sweat in the 2021 season were disappointments. Chase more than Montez, but still each was a disappointment. And interior defensive linemen Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne this season have been disappointments. Uh, Deron more than John, but still each has been a disappointment. Uh, Number two, completely whiffing on a major free agent signing in corner William Jackson the third, He was a total mismatch for what Jack Del Rio did schematically. Why Washington spent good money on Jackson as an unrestricted free agent in March 2021, only to not use him in the best possible way, is baffling to me. And number three, Washington, at best, getting so-so results, and at worst, completely whiffing on multiple first and second round picks spent on defensive players. Edge defender Chase Young, who was taken with the number two overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft. Linebacker Jamin Davis, who was taken in the first round of the 2021 Draft. Uh, Interior defensive lineman Fedarian Mathis, who was taken in the second round of the 2022 Draft. Corner Emmanuel Forbes Jr., who was taken in the first round of the 2023 Draft. Defensive back Quan Martin, who was taken in the second round of the 2023 Draft. I'm not going to go through what has happened with each guy and why. And yes, Washington has gotten some good production from some of those guys at times. And yes, it is possible that a few of those guys end up working out for the commanders. But bottom line, Washington during Jack Del Rio's tenure as the team's defensive coordinator spent five first slash second round picks on defensive players and not a single one has been an absolute hit. That's a problem. That's a big problem. Now, how much of that is on Jack is hard to say, but clearly that was part of Jack's tenure as the team's defensive coordinator, not being more of a success. And then there is the Brent Wieselmeyer angle. So Washington in January 2020 hired Brent Wieselmeyer as assistant defensive backs coach and nickel coach. And then this past February 28th announced having promoted Wieselmeyer to defensive backs coach. Uh, This off the departure of defensive backs coach Chris Harris to the Tennessee Titans to become their defensive pass game coordinator and cornerbacks coach. Uh, Harris had been Washington's defensive backs coach since January 2020. He was very well regarded. Uh, Wieselmeyer, prior to being hired by the Skins in January 2020, was coaching high school football. He was the head coach of Santa Margarita Catholic High School in California. In fact, Wieselmeyer's only NFL experience prior to being hired by the Skins was three seasons on the Oakland Raiders coaching staff during Jack Del Rio's three seasons as Raiders head coach, 2015 through 2017. Uh, Now, how much of the wretched play of the commander's secondary this season is ongoing 
from Chris Harris as defensive backs coach to Brett Wieselmeyer as defensive backs coach. It's hard to say. You hear different things from different people. But whereas Chris Harris has been talked about as a potential future defensive coordinator, Brett Wieselmeyer's only time in the NFL has been due to Jack Del Rio and Wieselmeyer prior to being hired by the Skins in January 2020 was coaching high school football. What does that say? Uh, Much more on the firings of Jack Del Rio and Brent Wieselmeyer in moments. The firings certainly constituted a big event in this commander season. And if you are planning a big event, like say a wedding or a holiday party, uh, you gotta go with Catering by Uptown. Catering by Uptown is the DMV's number one catering service. Catering by Uptown is a family business that prides itself on its signature dishes and flawless presentations. And Catering by Uptown goes beyond just food. Catering by Uptown offers personalized consultation and event planning assistance that are outstanding, including venue coordination, custom catering menu selection from over a thousand delicious dish selections, and a day of event coordinator who will make sure that everything runs smoothly from putting together and executing a menu to picking linens to selecting an excellent florist. Catering by Uptown is committed to meeting your needs and exceeding your expectations. Whether you are having a wedding or a corporate event, an intimate gathering, or a gala, Catering by Uptown is the way to go. Visit cateringbyuptown.com and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Also know this, Catering by Uptown has job openings for the event waitstaff. No experience is necessary and you get paid in-house training. Great opportunity if you're looking for work. Visit cateringbyuptown.com. That's cateringbyuptown.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. More now on the commanders of the firings of Jack Del Rio and Brent Wieselmeyer on Friday morning. Here was how Ron Rivera's day after the game press conference on Friday afternoon started. All right. So uh, as you guys know, for the most part, guys, I, I made a decision this morning. I relieved Jack Del Rio and Brent Wieselmeyer of their duties. And uh, we're going to be moving forward. going to do things a little differently. And um, it was uh, very tough, difficult decisions because those are two really good men, good football coaches, guys that have had a lot of success in this league. And it's just unfortunate, the situation, circumstances. Um, but did feel that change was something that we needed to do going forward and uh, really to um, see if we can shake some things up and get some things started. Ron Rivera, quote, we're going to be moving forward and do things a little differently, end quote. Interesting. Uh, this was Ron Rivera on Friday afternoon on what can be done differently. Well, without getting into the into the specifics as far as game planning and stuff like that, but you know we're we're we're, we're going to do things um, differently. Though I, I will tell you that much. All right. So changes to the Commanders' defense are coming. We then, during the press conference, had this exchange. Ron, when you say you're going to do things differently, did you and Jack have prior conversations? Where your input maybe was not. No, 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 and no. Okay. When I say differently, just from, it'd be from my perspective, the way I do things. Um, you know, Jack did a great job. And I, I will tell you that I was in line with the things that he did um, with what we did on the offense. I mean, excuse me, on the defense. Um, I thought were, um, were good, solid things. Um, there are some things too that I, I have different opinions on. And those are things that I'm going to do differently. Um, just because that's kind of the way I was brought up in coaching, you know, from from a different perspective. That's what I mean. 
again, this is this is this is nothing about fighting or arguing or anything like that. This is just about the fact that uh, to Sam 48's question, if you don't change things, can you expect things to change? And so that's what I'm I'm doing to see if things will change. And there is a lot with the performance of the commander's defense that needs to change. A lot of no's <laughs> from Ron at the beginning of that answer, right? No, 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 and no. Yeah, no, 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 and no. Five no's. Uh, hey, Ron, is your defense any good this season? No, 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 and no. <laughs> All right, that's what we thought. Hey, Ron, is there any chance that you're the head coach of this team beyond this season? No, 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 and no. <laughs> okay, again, uh, that's what we thought. Uh, some more from Ron Rivera on Friday afternoon on why he fired Jack Del Rio and Brent Wieselmeyer. Well, more so than anything else is, you know, it's one of those things that as you watch things happen and unfold last night, you know, it was it was kind of that that snowball. You know, it just kind of started again and just kept going and just I was concerned. And, and you know, spent a lot of time last night and this early this morning trying to go through this in my mind and just trying to figure out, you know, what else can be done, you know, and, and it just it seemed that, you know, shaking some things up. I mean, it's not an indictment of, of, of Jack and Brent because those guys worked their asses off trying to get things right and trying to do things for us. It's just for whatever reason, it just it, it wasn't coming together. You know, we, we haven't played as well as we would like to this season. We haven't played the complimentary football the way we needed to as a team. And unfortunately, you know, this is the circumstances. I mean, we're all culpable. We believe me, we all are coaches and players as a group. You know, we, we have to be better. And we know that. Um, and I think shaking it up now gives us an opportunity to, 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 to do some things differently and, and, and play some guys differently and see what's going on and see if we can, um, you know, we can, we can do things to, to, to make some things happen in a positive sense. There is no overstating how much of a debacle this 2023 commander's defense is. All of the draft capital and salary cap space that have been poured into the defense. Uh, the defense was in its fourth consecutive season with the same defensive coordinator. The defense has enjoyed very good health this season. This by no means has been some injury-ravaged defense. Uh, the defense has played a more than manageable schedule of opposing offenses, and yet the defense is terrible. And so now what? Uh, Ron Rivera last called defensive plays in the 2019 season, his final season as Carolina Panthers head coach. He did have a very good run as an NFL defensive coordinator. Uh, Ron was the Chicago Bears defensive coordinator for the 2004 through 2006 seasons. The Bears' NFL rankings and total defense per DVOA for those regular seasons were number nine in 2004, number one in 2005, and number two in 2006. Ron had an excellent run as Bears defensive coordinator. And Ron was the San Diego Chargers defensive coordinator for the 2008 through 2010 seasons. Uh, now, the Chargers 2008 and 2009 defenses weren't particularly good, but the Chargers for the 2010 regular season were number seven in the NFL in total defense per DVOA. This was Ron on Friday afternoon on being a defensive play caller once again. What this is a little bit more about, obviously, is, is just, again, Focusing in on on just the defensive side again. Uh, that will be really what I will be doing. I, I won't spend any time or have the opportunity to spend um, any time over, you know, hanging out with the offensive 
coaches and and visiting with EB on stuff. So we'll just continue to to you know the focus will solely be on preparing the defense and getting ready for our next opponent each week. So Ron Rivera right there mentioned EB as in of course Eric Bieniemy. Uh, this was Ron on Friday afternoon on what he wants to see from Eric Bieniemy's offense over the Commanders' final five games this regular season, and then you'll hear a follow up exchange with Commanders insider Michael Phillips of the Washington Times. Well, just I'd like to see the continued growth, and 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 again, just see um, continue to work to, to to get to a point where we we are consistent, and again. We have to play complementary football. Uh, I know it's one of the things that we we we, we were stressing and, and trying to get to, and you know again it's it's being consistent on both sides and in, 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 in playing well and sustaining success um, when something good goes. Let's continue to build off of that, and that's what we're hoping to do. I know during training camp we talked to you about his style and, and obviously some players who come to you at the time. How has that been throughout the year? And, and do those concerns, I, I guess, are those still concerns inside the building? No, they're not concerns still inside the building. The big thing, more so than anything else, is everybody's learning and understanding and growing. And, and, and you're going to take knocks early on. Things just don't automatically become easy. If you don't struggle a little bit, if it's not hard, um, the heart is where you, what you learn from, and, and I think that's what's happening. We are learning, um, you know, and, and, I, and I, I do go back to my my first year in in coaching uh, position. Um, we struggled, and but after that, things got righted, and 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 it was really a positive situation. So, you know, that's that that's to me is is almost expected and anticipated. There will be some 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 struggles, and and that's really what's happened. Um, you know, and again, I think EB's done a tremendous job. Um, we've done some really good things offensively, but, you know, we're working to get to the consistency portion of it. And I know that's uh, one of the things that EB always talks about. Yes, he does talk about that a lot. Put consistent behavior on tape. Uh, that is one of Eric Bieniemy's many uh, go-to phrases. Uh, one more for you from Ron Rivera on Friday afternoon. Here he was on if firing Jack Del Rio and Brent Wieselmeyer was something that Ron had been thinking about for a while. Well, it is something that, you know, um, probably thinking about for, 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 for a little bit. Um, but, you know, the, the culmination obviously was for, for me was for yesterday. And it was just like it just, you know, just snowballed again. And, and you know, and, and again, just thinking this might be the thing that could help it. You know, again, I just I just think that, you know, everything that 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 Jack and Brett did was 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 to, you know, do the best they can to, to help us. And unfortunately, we just didn't get it done. And like I said, the blame is, is is we're all culpable, you know, players and coaches. You know, we have to be better. And there is no disputing that. I mean, the more that we get away from the 45-10 loss at the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, the worse that that loss was. The whole turkey legs thing really was humiliating. Multiple Cowboys players eating turkey legs in the fourth quarter, as in before the game was over. Cowboys players pulling turkey legs out of the Salvation Army kettle uh, after quarterback Dak Prescott's third and six, 34-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Cavante Turpin with 5.59 left in the fourth quarter. Turpin wide open in the end zone and racing ahead of safety Cameron Curl and corner Danny Johnson. And what has made this turkey legs thing even worse is that it turns out that the Cowboys had planned to eat the turkey legs in anticipation of blowing out the commanders. This was according to Dak 
uh, during his postgame press conference, during which he at one point said that the thought was to eat the turkey legs after his third and one 15-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver C.D. Lamb with 10.32 left in the fourth quarter. But Dak said that the thinking was, quote, no, we'll get another one, and quote, as in another touchdown against the commander's woeful defense. How humiliating is it that the Cowboys thought that little of the commander's defense and were right? They were correct. Uh, this was Dak during his postgame press conference on Thursday evening. Team, team effort, team idea. Um... And yeah, we talked about it. It was probably a two, three day long process of, you know, whether it be a 15 yards, uh, whether coach would accept it. And I'll tell you, I actually go talk to coach before every game. And sure enough, I called him as he was talking to Jerry. And so I mentioned it. And of course, Jerry liked it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, and at that point, my direction was just to make sure we're up and the game was in hand. And so uh, the first, what, the touchdown, two CD, and then following two point conversion. If you watch, I'm kind of like, is it time? Can we do it? I'm like, no, we'll get another one. Uh, and sure enough, right after the, the, the one to Terp, was like, yeah, let's go for it. And so, and it was good. Well, it was good for you, Dak. Uh, it was not good for the Commanders. If only the work of the Commanders defense this season was as good as the work of Nova fireplace and stove. If you are in need of fireplace, stove, or chimney work, and you live in Northern Virginia, get with Nova Fireplace and Stove. Nova Fireplace and Stove is outstanding. It handles gas fireplace sales service and installation, handles gas, electric, and wood stoves, and handles chimney cleaning and repair. If you live in Northern Virginia, stay warm and upgrade the feel and value of your home with Nova Fireplace and Stove. Call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571-513-3803. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and receive $1,000 off select in-stock gas inserts and $1,000 off select in-stock wood inserts. Offer good while supplies last, but this is a tremendous deal. Nova Fireplace and Stove, it has been around for more than 20 years. It is run by big commanders fans, my guys Daniel and Stewart, and it has outstanding professionals. Uh, whatever the work that you need done requires, Nova Fireplace and Stove has. Master Gas Fitter, master electrician, class A contractor, licensed chimney inspector. And because of this, Nova Fireplace and Stove can complete your project without the need for any subcontractors. And Nova Fireplace and Stove can pull all of the necessary county permits for the work that is being done. Additionally, Nova Fireplace and Stove can perform fireplace and chimney safety inspections. See for yourself the work that Nova Fireplace and Stove can do. It is a showroom in Woodbridge, Virginia, and has a terrific website, NovaFireplaceAndStove.com. And take advantage of this great deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571 571- 513-3803. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and receive $1,000 off select in-stock gas inserts and $1,000 off select in-stock wood inserts. Join the Nova Fireplace and Stove family and experience the fireplace service and care that you deserve. Call 571-513-3803. That's 571-513-3803. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you.
Well, thank you to all of you who have given this podcast a five-star rating and who have written nice reviews of the podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. can be just a sentence or two, but the ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. So thank you very much for doing them. Uh, well, I purposely delayed speaking with our upcoming guest until this installment of the podcast because in the condensed week that was last week for the Commanders, I felt like having him in his usual spot for a Wednesday show would have resulted in a conversation being less relevant given that the Commanders had yet another game coming up on Thursday and uh, could have some major news on Friday. And sure enough, we did have major Commanders news on Friday. So off the Commanders, 31-19 loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field on November 19th, and then the 45-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving, and then the firings of defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio and defensive backs coach Brent Wieselmeyer on Friday morning. I am pleased to welcome back to the podcast Commanders analyst Mark Bullock who this commander season is joining me on the podcast on an every other week basis. Uh, Mark, not just a commander's analyst, but also a commander's fan. And he does excellent commander's film breakdowns. You can read Mark's work on his Substack Bullock's Film Room, which you can find at markbullock.substack.com. He has more than 2,000 subscribers. He puts up multiple posts per week, and the posts are in-depth film breakdowns with video. So you can read the writing and watch the video. Uh, Make yourself a smarter Commanders fan. MarkBullock.substack.com is written for The Athletic and for The Washington Post. You can follow Mark on X at NFL, And Mark is actually joining us on this show and on a show later this week. Uh, We on that show are going to talk quarterback Sam Howell and the commander's offense, but we right now are going to talk about the firings of Jack Del Rio and Brent Wieselmeyer. Uh, Mark, commander's fans wanted blood (laughs) uh, off what happened on Thanksgiving. Did you want managing partner Josh Harris to fire head coach Ron Rivera on Thursday night slash Friday morning? Or are you good with the firings of Jack Del Rio and Brent Wieselmeyer as uh, being the blood <laughs> that uh, was extracted off that loss at the Cowboys? Yeah, I, I kind of felt like... I feel like I think we all know at the end of the season what's going to happen. I think we all know that it's going to be a pretty clean house at the end of the year. Um, and any change now, to me, kind of feels just appeasing fans more than anything else like please buy tickets to the last few games we'll fire Del Rio um, we'll do what we can to get you to come to our game still but um, I, I don't think it would make any significant difference um, whoever they fired uh, they're, they're not they're, they've got what the Dolphins the 49ers and the Cowboys is three of their five games left to play and, and I, I suspect the Rams will probably beat them as well so the real competitive game they're going to have is going to be the Jets so um, it's it's not really going to make any difference either way. So to me, it kind of felt more like a we're trying something, don't hate us kind of move than anything else. Um, so yeah, it, I, I think we all know what's coming, uh, and it will come at the end of the year. It, whether it came now, I, I understand after that kind of loss, they they kind of have to try to blame it on someone. Um, but whether it came now or end of the year, it didn't matter to me. Our last segment talked about the bizarre nature of Jack Del Rio's tenure as Washington defensive coordinator. Good defenses for the 2020 and 2022 seasons, bad defenses for the 2021 and 2023 seasons. What do you make of the Jekyll and Hyde nature of Jack's run as Washington defensive coordinator? Well, 
generally speaking, defenses tend to be more up and down from year to year. Um, I, I believe there's statistics that back that up that say, like, generally, if uh, it balances out from year to year, um, and the good ones, the very few good ones, are able to sustain that. But most teams tend to bounce a little bit up and down. Obviously, this is kind of extreme examples where they've gone from being at the end of last year they were rated as one of the top defenses in the league and now they are basically the worst and so that that is more extreme than the typical variance that there is with defenses um it to me it feels like they've really struggled to find and stick to an identity um if you look at this whole tenure of Rivera and Del Rio we've seen them kind of shift from right we have these four defensive line and we're going to be all about the defensive line and, and uh, be about the pass rush and, and that and then it was okay well actually we need to maintain our gaps and, and not allow mobile quarterbacks get past us so we can't just go rushing the passer we need to um, contain rush and, and limit our rushes a little bit and then it was you know we've signed William Jackson who's this great man coverage corner uh, and we're going to play a bunch of zone coverage Um and then, obviously, this offseason they've had, you know, we, they've switched to playing zone and, and, and then they, they draft Forbes to fit that system and then they switch to playing man. Um, so it just feels like whatever they try to do, they can never settle on what they do well and stick to it. They, they try to switch for whatever reason um, and they lose an identity and, and they just don't fit the system to the personnel that they have. It has been said that Jack Del Rio's commander's defense this season was too simple. Uh, That's certainly what was indicated by Giants receiver Isaiah Hodgins uh, during his postgame session with reporters following the commander's loss to the Giants at FedEx Field in Week 11, uh, and also was suggested by quarter Emmanuel Forbes Jr. after that game. Uh, But it also has been said that Jack's commander's defense this season was too complicated. Uh, That was indicated by corner Benjamin St. Juice after that loss to the Giants. Uh, I know that you wrote about this some on your Substack, but you watch the All-22s. What is the truth? (laughs) Jack's commander's defense this season was too simple or too complicated? Yeah, so there is complexities within the defense, but not with what they've been playing lately. Um, They've been playing basically pretty much pure man coverage for the past three or four weeks. Um, certainly since the, the trade of, of Young and Sweat, they've basically been playing man coverage. And part of that is down to like teams they've played, like the Patriots, didn't exactly have very good, very many good receivers, and, and you could kind of just match up and, and play their man coverage. Um, but they also played like the Seahawks, and the Seahawks have Metcalf and, and Lockett, and they're, they're not easy guys to match up man-to-man with. Um, and so, and, but like obviously we saw what happened when they tried to go man-to-man on AJ Brown with the Eagles. Um, so, you know, it, it's weird. It, the complexities within the defense typically are when you play zone and match stuff, which they did last year and they did it really well. And that was why they were so good at the end of last year was they were playing the zone stuff, the quarters, um, coverages, which, which have match elements in them. Um, and they were passing things off. They were communicating things really well. And, teams weren't having open receivers and that allowed the rush to get home and and it was working really well and then this year they had done some of that but as I say they've they've been playing a lot more man coverage and man coverage is a lot more basic Um, it is kind of you line up from 
across the guy and you cover him wherever he goes. Um, and yes, there are, you can have match elements in it. Like if, if you have a slot corner inside and you're the outside guy and the two receivers kind of split how they, how they release one go, the slot guy goes outside and the outside guy goes inside, then you can pass those off and then still play man coverage. But that's not anything too complex. Um, certainly not at the NFL level. Um, and then sometimes like man coverage schemes will often have a hole player or a plugger, like a linebacker that will sit in the middle of the field um, because teams often try to use shallow crosses against man coverage and it's very hard for a corner to run with a receiver in, on a shallow cross. So you'll have a, a hole player that will cut off that shallow cross. Um, and, and so that, that again, that becomes a little bit of a pass-off situation, but uh, that shouldn't be anything too complex. Um, and that's what that Giants receiver was talking about. They played man coverage pretty much the whole game against the Giants, and um, they didn't adjust, and they got beat doing that. Um, and it was weird for St. Juice to come out and say it was too complex, because even Forbes was quoted after the game saying, we didn't really disguise anything. We were we, we were a little bit too basic. So when your two starting cornerbacks are both saying very different things about the, what the defense is, quite clearly there is some sort of uh, miscommunication and lack of identity and understanding of what the system is trying to be. Um, so I, I think that was kind of a big hit in the week that something was wrong, um, other than obviously losing all these games that they've been losing. Yeah, uh, that has been wrong, too. Uh, We're talking with Commander's Analyst Mark Bullock of Bullock's Film Room, which you can find at markbullock.substack.com. Regarding Benjamin St. Juice, he, to me, is a microcosm for the Commander's 2023 defense. A promising player, a guy who a lot of us, myself included, had viewed as a pretty good player, but he's not having a good season. Uh, It says a lot that the Cowboys on Thanksgiving repeatedly threw at St. Juice and had a lot of success doing so. Uh, Jack Del Rio did not do a good enough job as commander's defensive coordinator this season. I don't know how you argue otherwise, but did we overrate the talent on this defense? I I don't think we overrated the talent necessarily. I I think maybe a guy like St. Juice was rated a little bit higher. Like I, I personally thought he was kind of like you suggested, like he's a talented player that, that has some potential, but there were certainly plays in the last few years where he has struggled and like the best trait that he had shown me for the la- the most consistent one in the last few years is his ability to recover when he's getting beat, which is a great thing to be able to do, but you don't want your receiving, you don't want your corner's best trait to be recovering because they're getting beat too often. So um, that was kind of a, a little bit of a red flag for, for him specifically. But I, I think in terms of the overall talent, I, I still think a lot of the guys are talented. Like Kendall Fuller has had a pretty good year. Um, Emmanuel Forbes coming out of the draft was very talented and is still very talented. They've just not really played him in the way that fits him. He's a lone corner that plays off with vision and they've been playing a bunch of men. It just, like, if you were going to play man, you draft the guy that went to the Patriots and pick later. Like, you, you don't pick the zone corner so um, for me it's been misfitting parts it's, it's been playing the wrong system to fit the personnel um, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean that the defense would be a top five or a top ten defense if if they were playing the right system um, they still have some question marks at linebacker and with the injuries they've had at safety like Percy Butler 
has kind of he's had some nice reps, but he's also had some struggles when we've seen like the missed tackles, and particularly and stuff like that. So, um, like you you get some inconsistencies with young players in the secondary, but um, I think in general, if they had stuck to the kind of zone stuff and match stuff that they did last year, they'd be much better off than they are now. Um, so for me, it's I think there is still plenty of talent there. They just What do you think former Washington corner William Jackson III is thinking right now? William Jackson III, currently out of the NFL, by the way, but his run with Washington, March 2021 to October 2022, a failure, at least in part, due to him not being used in the way in which he had had success with the Cincinnati Bengals, playing lots of man coverage. Well, (laughs) now this season, Jack Del Rio, known for playing zone coverage, played more man. How about the irony there? Exactly. It's it's so weird for them to go... I mean, that's two huge investments that they've gone... Like, they gave Jackson a big contract and then went, yeah, we're going to make you play zone even though you're a man corner. And now they've gone, we're going to spend a first-round pick on this cornerback bit. Yeah, he's a zone corner. Yeah, he's very slim, um, but he, he fits our scheme perfectly. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, I can buy into that. And then they change the scheme and go back to playing man and he doesn't fit the scheme anymore. It It's mind-boggling it's it's very very strange um and yeah i'd imagine william jackson is sat there right now going well why didn't you do this for me (laughs) i would have i would have fit this system um yeah it's crazy it is odd uh every nfl defense plays a good bit of both man and zone coverage but generally speaking is one way of doing pass defense better than the other i mean in an ideal world you play man coverage because it's the most basic thing you just line up and play the guy across from you but in an ideal world, you also need four Darrell Revises to be able to lock down their four receivers. Um, and, and if you have the, the horses to do that, then by all means, go for it. It's great. Um, a very few teams have that many really good corners. Um, and um, I, I think there's enough zone coverage stuff around the league. And generally, the, the league consensus is now you play some match stuff where it starts off as zone, but you match the releases of routes and it turns into man coverage. Um, and, and that makes it a lot harder for receivers to separate um, and for different route combinations to, to work. So I think that's kind of the trend of the league and that's the direction that I'd be going in. And, that, and that's the direction they were going in at the end of last year. And that's why they had success at the end of last year. Um, but for a reason, every reason they got away from it. So Ron Rivera, during his day after the game press conference on Friday afternoon, confirmed that he will be the team's defensive coordinator for the rest of this season. Also said, quote, we're going to be moving forward and do things a little differently, end quote. What do you think that he meant by doing things a little differently? Yeah, my guess would be they're going to play more zone. Um, Rivera, when he was in Carolina, Granted, he, he gave his defensive coordinators kind of free reign to, to coach their their units and, and didn't meddle too much. But the, those Panthers units were known for playing a lot of cover three and a lot of quarters um, and pretty much basic zone coverages. Um, and so I think that's probably the direction Rivera's going to go in um, as it does kind of fit the personnel that they, they've got there. Um, and, you know, they, they've been playing a bunch of man the last few weeks and it hasn't worked so you might as well switch and try to play some zone so I'd imagine that'll be the Rivera the, the direction Rivera will go in um, and, and see if if that 
turns things around, but I, I'd be surprised if it does against the offenses they're about to play. Yeah, the commander's schedule, at least on paper, is uh, in the process of stiffening quite a bit. Uh, commander's analyst Mark Bullock of Bullock's Film Room, which you can find at markbullock.substack.com. Mark, thank you, and we'll talk later in the week. Great, thanks. Yeah, man, we have the 4-8 Commanders versus the 8-3 and three Miami Dolphins at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. What might receiver Tyreek Hill do against this Commanders defense this Sunday afternoon? How enticing of a fantasy play might Tyreek be for Week 13 of the 2023 NFL regular season? Underdog fantasy is the best and easiest place to play fantasy sports, and it has a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a deposit match of up to $100 for all new customers who sign up with the promo code GALDI, my last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI. Go to underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Underdog Fantasy offers best ball, daily drafts, and pick em. Underdog Fantasy offers season-long fantasy with a zero-stress scenario of no waivers, no trades, even no lineup setting. We all know that playing fantasy sports can be really time-consuming. Well, Underdog Fantasy removes the time consumption but keeps the fun and the potential to win money and take advantage of the free money. If you sign up now with the promo code GALDI, my last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI, Underdog Fantasy will double your first deposit with up to $100 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of at least $10. So in other words, if you deposit $100, you get $100 for free. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code GALDI. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app and use that promo code GALDI. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and must be present in a state in which underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. We move now to college football. The 2023 college football regular season essentially is over. Uh, I say essentially because we do still have Navy versus Army. Uh, Navy versus Army this year happening at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts on Saturday afternoon, December 9th at 3. But this coming weekend is conference championship weekend. And among the conference championship games is Liberty hosting New Mexico State Friday night at 7 In the Conference USA Championship game, Uh, Liberty is number 25 in the college football playoff rankings that came out this past Tuesday evening and is number 20 in the Associated Press Top 25 poll that came out on Sunday afternoon. The Flames improved to 12-0 overall and 8-0 in Conference USA with a 42-28 win at UTEP on Saturday afternoon. Liberty in this game had 469 total net yards of offense, 400 41 total net yards of rushing offense uh, with a mere 28 total net yards of passing offense. Quite the split. Uh, Flames quarterback Caden Salter, he went just 4 of 11 for just 22 yards, although he did have a touchdown pass and no interceptions, took one sack. And when you take out the sack, he had 12 carries 
for 94 yards. Uh, the touchdown pass, by the way, tied Salter with former Liberty quarterback Malik Willis for the school record for most total touchdowns in a single season, 40, uh, which Willis had in 2021. Salter for this season, number nine among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS and ESPN's total QBR, 83.6 QBR on a scale of 0 to 100. But yeah, Liberty's rushing offense again, outstanding. The Flames for this season are number one in the FBS in rushing yards per game at 295.4. What a season for head coach Jamie Chadwell. And what is his first season as Liberty head coach? He was hired last December off a nice four-season run as Coastal Carolina head coach. He was hired to replace Hugh Freeze, who left his job as Liberty head coach to become Auburn's head coach. And boy, <laughs> what a loss for Coach Freeze and his Auburn Tigers on Saturday. The 27-24 home loss to number eight Alabama in the Iron Bowl on a 31-yard touchdown pass with 32 seconds left in the fourth quarter on a fourth and goal at the 31. Unreal. But I mentioned Jamie Chadwell's former employer, Coastal Carolina. Uh, James Madison, the Dukes, uh, they on Saturday humbled Coastal Carolina. JMU improved to 11-1 and overall and 7-1 and in the Sunbelt Conference with a 56-14 win at Coastal Carolina. And the Dukes are going bowling. The Bowl Alliance on Sunday morning announced that JMU is going to a bowl game. The Dukes were officially declared available for selection into a bowl game uh, per NCAA bylaws. Uh, this off, not enough eligible teams for bowl games this season. As you likely know by now, JMU, because it is in just its second season as an FBS team, was not being allowed by the NCAA to play in the Sunbelt Conference Championship game or in a bowl game unless there were not enough teams with at least 500 records for this season to fill up all of the bowl game spots. Well, there are not enough teams with at least 500 records for this season to fill up all of the bowl game spots. And so the Dukes are going bowling. Uh, congrats to them. Well-deserved. Uh, James Madison, number 24 in the Associated Press Top 25 poll that came out on Sunday afternoon. And you talk about a statement win on Saturday. The Coastal Carolina Chanticleers with a win over James Madison on Saturday would have clinched a spot in the Sunbelt Conference Championship game, which of course should include JMU, but won't. The Dukes entered Saturday ahead of Coastal Carolina in the Sunbelt Conference's East Division. And the Dukes very much made the point that they are ahead of the Chanticleers. Uh, JMU quarterback, Jordan McLeod, as I thought he would, bounce back nicely from his performance in the Dukes' 26-23 overtime loss to Appalachian State at Bridgeport Stadium and Harrisonburg, Virginia on November 18th. McLeod, in this win at Coastal Carolina, accounted for six touchdowns, five touchdown passes and a touchdown run. He went 26-35 for 324 yards, five touchdowns and an interception. He took one sack. McLeod for this season is number 29 among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in total QBR, 71.9. Tremendous season for him. Tremendous season for his team. Meantime, Maryland, it capped its 2023 regular season with a terrific win. Uh, the Terrapins improved to 7-5 and five overall and 4-5 and five in the Big Ten with a 42-24 win at Rutgers on Saturday. This win gives the Terps at least seven wins in each of three consecutive seasons for the first time since the 2001 through 2003 seasons, which were 
Ralph Regan's first three seasons as Terps head coach. No Terps fan is happy about this team going just 2-5 and five off the 5-0 and oh start, but having at least seven wins in each of three consecutive seasons for the first time since the 2001 through 2003 seasons, that is significant. Uh, now, the Terps in this win at Rutgers uh, did allow a uh, 28-3 second quarter lead to get trimmed to 28-17 late in the second quarter, but the Terps won the second half 14-7. Uh, both of the Terps' second-half touchdowns were one-yard tush-push rushing touchdowns by backup quarterback Billy Edwards Jr., who has become college football's version of Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts. Uh, Edwards has become automatic on these uh, tush-push goal-line runs. Edwards, over the Terps' last two games now, has five one-yard tush-push rushing touchdowns. Uh, and the Terps' starting quarterback, Talia Tungavailoa, he on Saturday had his first truly good game in seven games, and he became the Big Ten's all-time leader in career passing yards. So Talia went 24-31 for 361 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. He took one sack. He had a first quarter, first and goal, six-yard shotgun read option touchdown run. And Talia surpassed Purdue quarterback Curtis Painter for the most career passing yards In Big Ten history, Uh, Talia already held Maryland career records for passing yards, total offense, passing touchdowns, total touchdowns, completions, completion percentage, and passer rating. So congrats to Talia, who for this season is number 25 among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS and total QBR at 73. Uh, The Terps in this game ran 20 fewer plays than Rutgers did and yet had 498 total net yards of offense to Rutgers 355. The Terps averaged an outstanding 8.44 yards per play and held Rutgers to just 4.49 yards per play. And the Terps did this against the Rutgers team that came into the day number 30 in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN for this season. This was a very impressive offensive performance by the Terps. Uh, Terps receiver Ty Felton, he had five receptions for 140 yards and a touchdown. Terps receiver Jay Sean Jones, he had four receptions for 70 yards and became just the eighth Maryland player ever with at least 2,000 career receiving yards. Uh, Terps running back Roman Hemby, 15 carries for 100 13 yards. And so now we wait for the bowl game selections, which will be revealed this Sunday, December 3rd. And among those teams, in addition to Liberty, James Madison, and Maryland that are going bowling is Virginia Tech. The Hokies, they improved to 6-6 six and six overall and 5-3 and three in the ACC with a 55-17 win at Virginia on Saturday. Uh, Tech with this win became bowl eligible. Uh, The Hokies in the 2022 season were not bowl eligible for a season for the first time since the 1992 season, but they now are back to bowl eligibility. Uh, And they once again defeated the Cavaliers. The Commonwealth Cup once again belongs in Blacksburg. Tech defeated the Cavs for the 18th time in 19 games. And here was the best part. Hokies head coach Brent Pry after the game brought his team back onto the field to take a picture. And then, wouldn't you know it, the Scott Stadium sprinklers came on. (laughs) What a coincidence. You gotta love rivalries. Uh, But this game was total domination by Tech. This was the 104th all-time meeting between Virginia Tech and Virginia football. The Hokies, 55 points, the most points scored by either team in the history of the rivalry. Uh, Tech at the half led 24-0. Tech at the end of the third quarter led 48-10. 
the Hokies ran 16 fewer offensive plays than the Cavs did, and yet the Hokies had 500 total net yards of offense to the Cavs, 286. Tech averaged 8.33 yards per play. The Cavs averaged just 3.76 yards per play. Uh, Hokies quarterback and Baylor transfer Kyron Drones had a good game. Uh, Now, he completed just 10 of his 22 pass attempts, but he threw for 244 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. He averaged a whopping 24.4 yards per completion as his touchdown passes were a 44, 84, and 34 yards, and he took no sacks. Uh, Drones had seven carries for 50 yards. Uh, Tech running back at North Carolina A&T transfer, Bayshall Tootin, tremendous game, 16 carries for 117 yards and a touchdown. And he had a third quarter, 94-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. Uh, the Hokies this season have gone from 1-3 and three to 6-6. Six and six. They have won five of their last eight games uh, due to beating up on bad teams. Okay, let's be honest about things. Uh, and Tech on Saturday absolutely beat up on the Wahoos. Uh, who's head coach Tony Elliott for a third consecutive game did go with the true freshman Anthony Calandria as the team starting quarterback. Uh, this off Monmouth transfer Tony Musket having suffered an ankle injury in the Who's 45-17 loss to Georgia Tech at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville, Virginia on November 4th. Uh, Calandria in this loss to Virginia Tech had a rough game. He went 29-46 of 46 for just 243 yards. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 5.28. He did have two touchdown passes, but he also threw an interception and he took five sacks. Uh, the bright spot for the Hoos, once again, was receiver and Northwestern transfer Malik Washington. Uh, he had 14 receptions for 115 yards on 17 targets, adding to his UVA single season records for receptions and receiving yards. This marked an 11th consecutive game for Washington in which he had at least 97 receiving yards and he in 10 of those games had at least 109 receiving yards Uh, and Washington set a new ACC single season record for receptions with 110 breaking a mark that had been held by commander's receiver and Duke product Jamison Crowder. Uh, Crowder in the 2013 season had 108 receptions, but Crowder did that over 14 games that season. This game was only Washington's 12th game of the 2023 season, uh, and this was Virginia's final game of the season. Uh, the Hoos fell to 3-9 and nine overall and 2-6 and six in the ACC. Tony Elliott, during his postgame press conference on Saturday evening, admitted that he did not have his team ready to play. Here was that. Yeah, I mean, it, start, it starts with me. Uh, I have to do a better job of, of having the, the team ready to play week in and, and week out. And, um, you know, I'll evaluate that. But I just didn't, didn't feel like we had the right uh, look in our eye um, from, from, from the opening, uh, from, from really from the time we ran out um, for, for, for the game. And that's on, that's on me. All right. So Tony Elliott admitted that he did not have his team ready to play. And then we, during his postgame press conference, had this exchange with Virginia football and Virginia Tech football insider Mike Barber of Richmond.com. Tony, after not playing this game last year, this is the first time you and Brett kind of go head to head. It felt like a reset on the rivalry. Are you worried that this one becomes bigger than just one game? And how do you manage against that? No, not, not at all. Um, you know, if it's a rivalry, you throw the records out, right? Every game is, is, is its own individual game. And, uh, and you know, I got to tip my hat to Brent. Uh, they did they did a heck of a job today. Uh, they were ready to play. 
Uh, they, they, they took it to us uh, early on. Um, I didn't have my guys ready to play, but I'm not going to make this uh, bigger than, than, than what it is. Uh, this is this is one game. Um, we're going to learn from it, and, and we're going to get better uh, this offseason. And then we got to wait, unfortunately, you know, for 365 days to get another shot. But uh, but I'm not. Uh, that's not how I how I view it. That's not how I think. Right uh, now, um, I have to in that locker room and in the program uh, change the mentality and mindset when it comes to uh, viewing uh, the rivalry. Um, and in this off season, um, I'll spend time, you know, figuring out the right way to articulate uh, that uh, to uh, to everybody in the building. Uh, but. But I think more importantly, what we're learning as a program is, you know, we got to have, you know, the right mindset week in and week out, you know, where um, we're always chasing our best game. It doesn't matter how well you played the week before or how bad you played the week before. You're always chasing uh, your uh, your best game. And I felt like uh, just overall, uh, we, 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 we thought some plays were going to carry over from last week. Um, and touchdowns don't carry over, blocks don't carry over, um, tackles don't carry over, I and mean, you got to go earn it um, every single uh, every single week. Okay, so a lot there from Tony Elliott, but he admitted that he needs to do a better job of conveying the significance of the Virginia Virginia Tech rivalry. Now compare what Elliott said with what Hokies head coach Brent Pry said during his post-game press conference on Saturday evening about how he presented the rivalry to his players in the lead-up to this game. Yeah, it's you know we we made a a strong effort to make sure this group understood what this game really means, what it's about, uh, and and not really for for UVA, for our group, for our fan base, for Virginia Tech, for all the players that have played in this game. You know, Coach Beamer addressed the team on Wednesday. Coach Foster addressed the team on Thursday. I can't tell you how many video messages we had from former players about this series and this rivalry, and uh, we shared those with the team, and we had videos each and every day of memorable moments in this game. And we got six guys on staff that have that played here and played in this game and what it meant to them. They shared that with the team. Uh, it was a good, good week of preparation. Yeah, quite the contrast between how Tony Elliott and Brent Pry presented the rivalry to their respective players. Uh, Elliott, by his own admission, did not hype the rivalry enough. Pry went out of his way hyping the rivalry. And perhaps not so coincidentally, Virginia Tech won at Virginia 55-17. So UVA on Saturday got smashed and so did Navy. The midshipmen fell to 5-6 and six overall and 4-4 four and four in the American Athletic Conference with a 59-14 loss at SMU on Saturday afternoon. The mids had a chance to become bowl eligible, but instead got blown out. Uh, 66 of the game's 73 points were scored in the first half. Uh, the score at the half was SMU 52, Navy 14. The score late in the first quarter was SMU 28, Navy nothing. Navy just got outclassed. SMU's a good team. SMU came into this game as the number 22 team in the FBS this season per ESPN's Football Power Index. Uh, Navy's defense got shredded by SMU's offense. The mids in a first quarter that they lost 28-7 allowed SMU to generate 300 total net yards of offense over just 23 plays. That works out to a yards per play of 13.04, but geez, 300 total net yards of offense for SMU in just the first quarter. Uh, the mids allowed SMU quarterback Preston Stone for the game to go 14-19 
for 322 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of 16.95 and a yards per completion of 23. And he left the game in the second quarter due to a lower leg injury. So who knows how much worse things could have been uh, for the mids. Uh, Navy head coach Brian Newberry for a fourth consecutive game started Xavier Arline at quarterback. He was one of many mids players who got injured during the game, although he did return to the game. But we did end up seeing a lot of freshman quarterback Braxton Woodson in the game. Uh, Arline went 0-6 passing and took a sack. When you take out the sack, he had three carries for minus eight yards. Uh, Woodson went 9-18 of passing for just 71 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception. He took three sacks, uh, but when you take out the three sacks, he had 15 carries for 118 yards, including a second quarter, second and four, 69-yard under center option touchdown run. But uh, that was the high point for Navy in this game. Here was Brian Newberry during his postgame media session on Saturday afternoon. I mean, we knew going in there a really, really good football team, uh, playing for a lot, playing meaningful games this point in the season. And, um, you know, we knew we were going to have to play great and be at our best to have a chance. And, and we simply weren't today. And I don't, I don't think uh, anything went right, you know, in that first half. Kind of a perfect storm and just, just didn't play well on both sides of the ball, you know. And, um, you know, the ball went up in the air, something like there, guys made a play, and, and, and we just didn't. And we knew going in, we had, you know, we had to win some of those 50-50s, and uh, they took some shots in the first half and, and hit them, and, and just got the, you know, atrocious start and just couldn't couldn't recover. I mean, the game since was out of hand, you know, at halftime. So really disappointed, you know, for our players, and, and uh, we had a great opportunity in front of us, and, and um, you know, just didn't do enough to get it done. Didn't deserve to win today. Didn't play well enough. No, you did not. Uh, So Navy on Saturday failed to become bowl eligible, but Old Dominion did not. The Monarchs, they improved to 6-6 overall and 5-3 in the Sunbelt Conference with a 25-24 win over Georgia State at S.B. Ballard Stadium in Norfolk, Virginia on Saturday afternoon. ODU overcame a 21-0 halftime deficit and overcame a 24-14 fourth quarter deficit with Three scores over the final one minute, 37 seconds of the game. This was something. A 37-yard field goal by kicker Ethan Sanchez with 137 left in the fourth quarter. A safety with 117 left in the fourth quarter. And a fourth and goal three-yard touchdown run by quarterback Grant Wilson as time expired in the fourth quarter. (laughs) Unbelievable. Uh, ODU won this game despite Wilson completing just 15 of his 33 pass attempts and taking eight sacks. ODU won this game despite losing two key defensive players, cornerback Lamarion James and linebacker Jason Henderson to injury. Uh, What a win for head coach Ricky Ronnie and the Monarchs. Uh, ODU this season has dealt with quarterback instability, was in rough shape, after a three-game losing streak, but back-to-back wins to conclude the regular season have the Monarchs bowl eligible. Uh, A good feeling if you're an Old Dominion fan, just like the good feeling that I get from AG1. AG1, a perfect sponsor of this podcast, given that uh, my initials are AG. I'm actually Al Galdi III, so consider this AG3 uh, (laughs) telling you about AG1. But like many of you, uh, my sleep is all over the place due to my work schedule and having two young kids. Drinking AG1 helps me feel energized, focused, and healthy. I especially like drinking AG1 after working out. You see, AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like 
gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition. AG1 has been continuously refining its formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. If you want to take ownership of your health, doing so starts with AG1. And here's a great deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. You can get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase of AG1. Go to drinkag1.com slash Al Galdi. That's drinkag1.com slash Al Galdi. Drinkag1.com slash Al Galdi. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, we all love the NFL and we all love pizza. So make Little Caesars part of your NFL game day. Little Caesars is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL. Order online during Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame, which is one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day Sunday. You can pick your favorite Little Caesars pizza. You can pick the toppings that you crave, kind of like picking players for your fantasy team, only with Little Caesars pizza you never lose. And Little Caesars offers convenient delivery as well as the in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the game. Little Caesars Pizza Pizza. The Capitals on Monday night are beginning a stretch of five games in eight days with all five games out west. Uh, this off the Caps having played nine of their last 11 games at home, and the last of those games did not go well. Uh, the Caps fell to 10-5-2 in this NHL regular season with a 5 nothing loss to the Edmonton Oilers at Capital One Arena on Friday afternoon. Yeah, Black Friday, a dark day uh, for the Caps. A loss snapped the Caps' five-game winning streak. It was their first regulation loss since November 2nd. The Caps went more than three weeks without a regulation loss. Uh, the Caps on Friday afternoon got back center of Genny Kuznetsov from a two-game absence caused by illness, but they lost second-line right wing T. 
TJ Oshie, uh, he suffered an upper body injury, did not return to the game. So Oshie, who has missed a lot of time in recent seasons due to injury, is hurt again. But bottom line, this was a no-show type performance by the Caps on Friday afternoon. Take a listen to this from Caps head coach Spencer Carberry during his post-game press conference on Friday evening. We've done a lot of good things, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But it's just it's disappointing to you're going to lose games in this league. You're not going to have your best, but to 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 play like that coming off of Thanksgiving before we go on the road, it's to me it's a very very immature game from almost um, something you would expect from a young team that thinks they're already in California and halfway on the plane um, before that game even starts, and obviously. Um, you you do that against a team that's playing for their lives and feel like their season's on the line. Good luck. I mean, it's not even close, and that's that's what you just witnessed. Harsh words from Spencer Carberry for his Caps. Now the Oilers are really talented. Oilers center Connor McDavid, aka Connor McJesus. Uh, he on Friday afternoon had four assists, including three primary assists. Another Oilers center, Leon Dreisaitl, he on Friday afternoon had two second-period power play goals and a first-period primary assist. And speaking of Oilers power play goals, the Caps special teams in this game were horrible. Uh, the Caps went just one of four on the penalty kill as the Oilers scored three second-period power play goals. First time that the Caps allowed at least three power play goals in a period in a regular season game since March 20th, 2018. Uh, Also, the Caps went 0-5 on the power play. Boy, is the Caps power play bad. The Caps for this regular season now are an abysmal 3 of 50 on the power play. 3 of 50. That is so bad. Spencer Carberry during his postgame press conference on Friday evening. Yeah, it's um, we're gonna have to change a bunch, tons of different things, personnel-wise, puck management-wise, puck recovery decisions, routes. Um, I mean, you name it. I saw it tonight from uh, from both units. We'll, we'll continue to look to try to find a combination of five guys that are able to execute the power play and and be able to um, do the necessary things required to have a an effective power play in this league. Yeah, there are things to like about Spencer Carberry's Caps head coach, but the power play being three of 50 is a total embarrassment and is not something that at all reflects well on Carberry. Uh, Also for the Caps in this 5-0 loss to the Oilers on Friday afternoon, the Caps got demolished in the puck possession battle. Uh, The Caps per natural stat trick had just 29 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Oilers 53. The Caps had 25 shots on goal to the Oilers 35. More from Carberry during his post-game press conference. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's it's difficult to play against a team of that caliber when they have the puck the entire night. And anytime we get it, um, it just doesn't connect and, and we just give it back. So obviously you do the math. You, you, you give Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid, Ryan Nugent Hopkins the puck all night, three of the best players on the planet, it's, it's going to be difficult. And that's uh, essentially what goes on. 
Yes, it is. Uh, the Caps' number two goaltender, Charlie Lindgren, he on Friday afternoon was their starting goaltender for a third time in four games since the Caps' number one goaltender, Darcy Kemper, returned from injury. But Lindgren stopped just 30 of the 35 shots on goal that he faced, including over the first two periods, stopping just 25 of the 30 shots on goal that he faced. I do wonder if this performance brings us back to a more normal schedule for Kemper and Lindgren. Uh, Spencer Carberry had been playing Lindgren a lot due to him playing well, but uh, Lindgren may have cooled off. Uh, and so now comes this trip out west for the Caps. Caps at the San Jose Sharks, Monday night at 1030. So the Capitals on Monday night are beginning a stretch of five games in eight days with all five games being road games. And the Wizards on Monday night are beginning a stretch of three games in five days with all three games being road games. Uh, two games for the Wizards over the weekend. Two losses for the Wizards over the weekend. Friday night, a 131-128 loss at the Milwaukee Bucks. This was a close game. Uh, the Wizards uh, never led by more than six points, but never trailed by more than seven points. The game featured 19 lead changes and 22 ties. But then Saturday night, a 136-108 loss to the Atlanta Hawks at Capital One Arena. This game was not close, so the Wizards never held a lead in the game. They trailed by at least 11 points for the entire second half, trailed by at least 28 points for the entire fourth quarter. So the Wizards now have lost nine consecutive games, and for this regular season are an NBA worst tying two and 14. The tank is in full effect. Uh, the Wizards' defense continues to be abysmal. The loss at the Bucks on Friday night, the Wizards did actually hold the Bucks to just 9 of 31 on threes, but the Wizards got shredded in the paint. The Wizards allowed the Bucks to score 72 points in the paint and go 36 of 50 in the paint. The Wizards allowed the Bucks to generate 33 free throw attempts. The Wizards had just 21 free throw attempts. And the Wizards got hammered by three Bucks in particular the Greek freak, Giannis Adetokounmpo, 7 1 center Brooke Lopez, and Damian Lillard. Those three guys combined to score 101 of the Bucks. 131 points. Lopez in just 32 minutes, nine seconds as a starter, went four of seven on threes, 10 of 10 on twos, and seven of seven on free throws. He finished with 39 points, six rebounds, three blocks, and two steals. Uh, then in the loss to the Hawks on Saturday night, the Wizards allowed the Hawks to score 136 points, allowed the Hawks to go 18 to 37 on threes and 34 to 65 on twos, and allowed the Hawks to finish with 29 assists versus 10 turnovers. The Wizards got worked by Hawks point guard Trey Young. He in just 30 minutes, 22 seconds as a starter went 5 of 8 on threes, 4 of 9 on twos, and 3 of 3 on free throws. Finished with 26 points, 10 assists versus 2 turnovers, 6 rebounds, 2 steals, and a game best plus minus rating of plus 40. <laughs> it is rare that a player in an NBA game has a plus minus rating of at least plus 40, but uh, Trey Young had that on Saturday night. Uh, the Wizards were without Bilal Koulibaly for that loss at the Bucks. He missed that game due to a left knee contusion. Uh, he was back for the loss to the Hawks, but the Wizards in that game uh, were without Jordan Poole due to left ankle soreness. Uh, the Wizards also continued to be without DeLon Wright due to a left knee sprain that he suffered in the 124-117 loss to the Charlotte Hornets at Capital One Arena on November 10th. But whatever. I mean, the Wizards are a bad team. 
Uh, you know, they at times are good offensively. Like, they in the loss at the Bucks ran some good offense, scored 128 points, went 15 to 37 on threes, 33 to 63 on twos, finished with 29 assists versus just nine turnovers. But then the Wizards in that loss to the Hawks were really bad offensively. The Wizards went just a 10 of 38 on threes. Uh, Corey Kispert in 27 minutes, 54 seconds as a starter, went just one of 10 on threes, had a game worst plus minus rating of minus 28. The Wizards did go 33 of 50 on twos and 12 of 12 on free throws, but the Wizards committed 20 turnovers to the Hawks 10, and the Wizards' rebounding struggles continue. Uh, the Wizards, in the loss to the Hawks, got crushed on the offensive glass, just eight offensive rebounds to the Hawks 17, although the discrepancy in second-chance points wasn't that bad. The Wizards had 13 Second chance points to the Hawks, 19. But the Wizards allowed one of the best rebounders in the NBA, 6'10 Hawks center Clint Capella, to have seven offensive rebounds in just 18 minutes, 24 seconds as a starter. He went 6-14 from the field, all twos, 0-2 on free throws, finished with 12 points and 11 rebounds. Uh, Next up for the Wizards at the Detroit Pistons, Monday night at 7 in a battle of the two worst teams in the NBA. Each team is a league worst 2-14 this regular season. We move now to college basketball. A nice run for Virginia Tech in the ESPN Events Invitational at the ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex in Kissimmee, Florida. Came to a screeching halt on Sunday afternoon. An 84-50 loss to number 19 Florida Atlantic in the championship game of the tournament. Uh, The Hokies trailed by one point at 25-24 with less than two and a half minutes left in the first half. Tech then lost the rest of the game 59-29. 26. Uh, the Hokies for the game went just to 2 of 17 on threes and just 18 of 43 on twos. But this was off two good wins for Tech. Thanksgiving night, an 82 75 win over Boise State. Friday evening, a 71 62 win over Iowa State. Uh, Florida Atlantic is a good team. The Hokies now are 5 and 2 this season. Next up for Virginia Tech at Auburn this Wednesday night at 9 15 in the ACC. SEC Challenge. Uh, also over the weekend were wins for Maryland and Georgetown. Maryland improved to 3-3 three and three on the season with a 68-55 win over South Alabama at Xfinity Center in College Park, Maryland on Saturday night. Uh, yes, the Terrapins are at 500 uh, off their hideous 1-3 and three start, although these last two wins are a 92-68 blowout of UMBC in College Park this past Tuesday night. And now this win over South Alabama. The Terps at the half, led by just three points at 29-26, but the Terps began the second half on a 23-4 run, uh, and they led for the entire second half. Very nice game for 6-9 Julian Reese. Uh, he in 33 minutes as a starter, went 7-8 of eight from the field, all twos, and 5-7 of seven on free throws. Finished with 19 points, 15 rebounds, including seven offensive boards and four blocks. But the Terps, again, were awful on threes. Uh, The Terps in this game went 5 of 31 on threes. 5 of 31. The Terps this season are shooting 21.4% on threes. 21.4%. 30 of 140 on threes. That is (laughs) so bad. Uh, Here was Terps head coach Kevin Willard at uh, various points during his post-game press conference on Saturday night talking about the Terps' struggles on threes. 
you know, our, our three-point shooting is obviously a struggle right now, and you know we're, we're kind of compounding it a little bit by getting down on ourselves. You can almost you can see them after they miss shots are getting a little a little down. The simple answer is I have a lot of confidence in these guys for the amount of work. Like I'll go in, I can come in the gym tonight at eleven o'clock. I guarantee there's going to be four guys in here shooting the basketball. Um, I have to do a better job explaining them that at times when you're a freshman or you're guy, you haven't played a lot. Um, it's hard to get in the rhythm. It's hard to find a rhythm. And I think right now, this is the struggle shooting is just for the fact that I know eventually we won't struggle to shoot the basketball. Um, but it's, it's, I think it's a little bit part of a growth factor that you just have to let these guys kind of figure it out a little bit on their own, too. Well, next up for Maryland, home to Ryder Tuesday night at 7. But then comes the Terps Big Ten opener. Yeah, conference play is coming up. Terps at Indiana this Friday night at 7. So it would be good for the Terps to get going on three soon. Uh, but someone who certainly has gotten going is Georgetown's Jaden Epps. Uh, the Hoyas improved to 4-2 and two this season with an 88-81 win over Jackson State at Capital One Arena on Saturday afternoon. Now, Jackson State came into the game just 1-5 and five on the season, and yet the Hoyas trailed by three points at 70-67 with less than eight and a half minutes left in the second half. But the Hoyas uh, did then win the rest of the game 21-11. The Hoyas' offense was good. Uh, they scored 88 points, went 13 to 26 on threes and 16 to 28 on twos and had 19 assists versus nine turnovers. And yeah, 6-2 Illinois transfer Jaden Epps. He, for a second consecutive game, had a monster game for the Hoyas. He, in 36 minutes as a starter, went seven of nine on threes, finished with 34 points, four rebounds, and four assists versus two turnovers. He did go just three and nine on twos and did go just seven of 11 on free throws. But Epps did what he did off what he did in the Hoyas' previous game, the 88-83 overtime win over American at Capital One Arena on November 19th. Epps in that game went nuclear. Uh, he, over the final six minutes of regulation, scored 20 points, including making five threes. He, in 40 minutes as a starter, went six of 13 on threes, five of nine on twos, and three of three on free throws. Finished with 31 points and four assists versus three turnovers. Uh, two other standouts for the Hoyas in their win over Jackson State on Saturday afternoon were Dontrez Styles and Jay Heath, uh, 6'6", North Carolina transfer Dontrez Styles, he in 36 minutes as a starter, went two of five on three, seven of eight on twos, and two of three on free throws. He finished with 22 points, five rebounds, and two blocks. And the 6'3", Jay Heath, he flirted with a triple-double. Uh, he in 37 minutes as a starter, went three of six on threes, and two of three on twos, finished with 13 points, nine assists, versus three turnovers, seven rebounds, and two steals. The Hoyas' defense was good. Uh, they held Jackson State to just 6-21 of 21 on threes and just 24-51 of 51 on twos. What hurt the Hoyas was rebounding. The Hoyas had just 10 offensive rebounds to Jackson State's 22 and thus just 13 second-chance points to Jackson State's 25. The Hoyas allowed 6-6 Zeke Cook of Jackson State to have seven offensive rebounds in 29 minutes off the bench. He went 6-10 from the field, all twos and five to seven on free throws. Finished with 17 points, 10 rebounds, and three assists versus two turnovers. The Hoyas were without 6-4 Texas transfer Rowan Brumbaugh uh, due to illness. Uh, next up for Georgetown, home to Merrimack, Wednesday night at 8.30.
And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can hit me up on X at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 709. We'll have plenty for you on the Commanders. Also, I'll talk Capitals and Wizards. The Caps are at the San Jose Sharks Monday night at 1030. The Wizards are at the Detroit Pistons Monday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. No, 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 and no.